Good morning, church family. Our scripture reading for today comes from John 10, 1 through 10. Turn with me to John 10. This word comes to us inspired by the Holy Spirit. As if Jesus himself were speaking to us, let us hear together the word of the Lord from John 10, 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and, and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I think if you would ask most moms, what is it you want for your children? Uh, what do you desire for them? They would say something like, well, I, I want them to be happy. I want them to be successful. I want them to have uh, an abundant life. I think you would parent. I mean, I think we all parent with, with that end in mind. The question, of course, becomes, the, the important question is, what is that, right? What is abundance? What is success? How do you get there? Is that just left up to the individual, right? Is that just whatever they determine is successful? You know, is, is happiness self-determined? Is abundance self-determined? Or, or do human beings have some sort of telos? Do human beings have some sort of great purpose, right? Are human beings intended for something? Is there some great purpose to our lives? You know, I, I, this is not a sermon really on parenting, but I think there's some practical parenting advice. I mean, I think this is something that like all of us as parents would think about is <laughs> what, what, to what end are we parenting our children? But of course, it doesn't just speak to parents, it speaks to all of us. To what end are we living our lives? Are, are we living towards some self-determined end or some self-perceived end? Or are we living towards some God-ordained, God-granted, God-given purpose, God-given telos, God-given uh, end? So three things that, passage really helps us to think about today. Number one, what is the abundant life? Number two, what is the evidence of the abundant life? And number three, what is the way to the abundant life? What is the abundant life? What is the evidence that you're in the abundant life and not in you know, some not abundant life? And then what is the way? How do you, how do you get there? So what is the abundant life? Well, again, this is kind of the question, right? It's the most important question. <laughs> <What> is, <laughs> how do you know your life's been successful? 
Now, a lot of people give all sorts of answers to this, right? I mean, some people say, well, you know your life's been successful if you've been a success, but then what does that mean? Well, maybe it's you've been wealthy or you have been a good parent, right? Some people really do. I, I prayed about this, but they find a lot of identity in being a good parent. I want to I be a good parent. Or I have a lot of friends, right? That's one of the things that I think people say. This is, you've been successful. You have a lot of friends. You're liked, right? You have some sense of notoriety. What is the abundant life? How do you know you're, you're living in abundance? We all have this impulse, right? We want to be special, we want to do something that proves that we're worthy, right? That we've done something with our lives. I mean, that's something that we say to kids, right? I want you to grow up and do something with your life, right? But what is that something, right? I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean get a good job? Does that mean have a house, a home ownership? Is that what abundance means? Like, like what, what is it, right? What, what are we pushing toward? What are we living toward? What is the... Abundant life. You know, for Rocky Balboa, it was going the distance with Apollo, right? I can go the distance with Apollo. Then I'll know I'm not a bum, right? I'll have done something with my life. Or Andy Dufresne, you know, I was thinking about the movie Shawshank Redemption. He says, if I could just get to say Wantaneo and get that boat, get that little hotel, that's not too much to ask. Then, then I'll know that I've done something with my life. My life has not been a waste. What is the abundant life? John Piper gave a very famous sermon. It was in one of the first Passion Conferences um, you know, in, in the year 2000. And in the sermon, he critiques, he's, he's offering a critique of the American dream. And, and he, he uh, gives a comparison between two sets of people. The first is a, a set of two ladies. They were friends, Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards. One was a nurse, one was a doctor. And they had given their retirement years to uh, go and serve the poor, the needy, the sick of Cameroon. They were almost 80. They were late 70s. They were almost 80. They were living in Cameroon, going village to village to village, a doctor and a nurse, trying to care for, trying to give medical attention to the, uh, some of the poorest among us, some of the poorest on earth, the, 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 these people in Cameroon, these, the most needy there. And, and the story goes, as they were going from one village to another, the brakes of their car gave out and they died. It, just, it happened right before he gave this sermon. They had died. So he tells that story, and then he tells another story, the, the story of Bob and Penny. And Bob and Penny had taken early retirement and moved to Punta Gorda, Florida. And they spent their days in the sun, playing softball and riding around on their boat and collecting seashells. And he asked the crowd, he asked these young students that were there at the conference, he says, which one of these is a tragedy? <laughs> you know, which one's a tragedy? <laughs> now, you know, we're, we're all kind of accustomed to think, well, the tragedy, of course, is that these old ladies died. They, they were, you know, they're, here they are, they're kind of in this place, there's no notoriety. They're giving themselves to people that could never repay them, that wouldn't make them wealthy. they just kind of forgotten about there, out there. That's tragic. But of course, Bob and Penny, <laughs> they made it. I mean, this is the life, the boat, the softball, the seashells, the sun, early retirement. That, that's it, right? That's what we're all gunning for. That's what we all want, isn't it? He asked him which one's a tragedy. 
And it really brings up this question, which, which one of these represents an abundant life? <laughs> which one of these are you aimed at, right? Which one of the, these do you have in mind? 70s, driving around in this poor country, <laughs> giving yourself to the poor and needy among us? Or the sun, the boat, the shells? Which one is abundance to you? I'm not asking, I'm not asking which one do you think is the Christian answer to abundance? So don't get me wrong. I think you all know, right? Said so which one is the Christian answer? You'd say, the missionaries, right? I mean, I'm not asking that question, right? I'm not asking that question. I, I know you know the answer, right? I know you know I'm in church right now. It's Mother's Day. I should say either Jesus or missionary, right? Those are the two. I, I'm not asking that. Which one of those has your heart? Which one of those is the end, right? And maybe it's not exactly one or the other, but does your life have a telos, Right? The Greek word telos, it means the end, not like the end in terms of the beginning, the end, but like the purpose, the end, the thing, the thing that you're going after, the thing you're living for. Again, confessionally, if I would just bring you up here and say, what is your confession? I'm sure your, your confession, your Christian confession would be, you know, we have this little uh, catechism for our kids. We teach our kids. What is the great purpose of man? The answer is the great purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. All right, of course, we're getting that from the Westminster Shorter Chasm, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I, I, you know, confessionally, I think most of you would say that. But here's the question. Functionally, functionally, how are you living? Where is your life aimed? I mean, this is the question. What is the telos of your life? Is it toward God? Is it toward his glory? Is it toward his people? Is it toward his purposes? Is it toward his mission? Is that your telos? Is that your end? Is that the abundant life that you're chasing after? Or does it look more like a boat and seashells in Florida? <laughs> does your functional theology line up with your confessional theology? What Jesus is saying in John 10, 10, very famous verse. He is saying, I have come to reorient you. That's what he's saying here. I have come to orient you toward a whole different definition of abundance. I have come to invite you into something that will actually give you an abundant life. I have come to call you to the very thing that you were made to desire, the thing that will actually settle your soul. You won't have to keep saying, I need more, 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 more. No, if you get this, Jesus is saying, you get it all. This is abundance. I have come to give you the kind of life that you were created to have. Now, what is that? And how do you understand that? In order to understand that, you have to understand something of the person, the character of Christ. Okay, the most important feature, so you say, well, what is Jesus like? What's the most important feature of Jesus? Right, that's a good question. What is the driving force of Jesus? Like, what is Jesus's purpose, right? What does Jesus's tell us, right? I mean, that's, that's the question, right? 
So I think that's a clue, right? If, if, if Jesus knows the way to the abundant life, then you say, okay, what is his telos? What is his end? What is he living for? And, and I think this is it, okay? I think this is, this is how you understand the purpose of Jesus' life. Jesus, the energy of his life, the passion of his life is to live for, so he's the son here, is to live for his father's glory. If, if you've not understood that in the Bible, then you need to read the Bible. Because if you just read Jesus, if you just look at Jesus, look what he's saying. He's saying, I've come to fulfill my father's command. I have come that my father may be glorified. I have come to please the father. I am doing the will of the father. Over and over and over again, the energy, direction, focus, love, passion of the life of Jesus is to please his father and to live by the spirit. I mean, that is the energy of Jesus' life. And that makes sense because that is the nature of the Godhead. That is the nature of the Trinity. For all time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed together in love. And this is so important to understand. This is foundational to human life. The other night, we had a great discussion at our little cohort. If you've never been in a Christ Covenant cohort, it's a group of three or four folks that get together on a monthly basis and we read books together. We encourage one another. We have some accountability. It's an amazing little time. I've been able to do it since ever we started and I love it. Um, we're reading the little book, Delighting in the Trinity. We're talking about this and how it applies to our lives. And, and this little book, it lays out the nature of the Godhead so well, that God, of course, God exists. He is ultimate. Of course, we believe God is ultimate. He's above all things. He is absolute, right? There's, there's nothing outside of his control, but God is, and this is so important to understand if you say, well, what is God like? God is relational. God is relational. God is a relational being. And there's personhood. There is being. God's not just some idea. He's not just some force out there. No, he's a relational being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit exist in relationship. John says God is love. It's not just that God is loving. That's how most of you have always heard that verse. God is loving. That's not what it says. If, you've, if that's how you've read the verse, you've totally misinterpreted what John is saying there. God's not saying God is loving. Now he is loving, but he's saying that God is love meaning that the very ontology, the very nature of God exists in love. How is this possible? Well, you have a triune God. You have a three-person God. And for all time, the Son has existed to love the Father and to love the Spirit. And, and likewise, the Spirit exists, and we see this all throughout the Scripture too, loves the Son and loves the Father. And the Father loves perfectly, fully, wholly the Son, and the Father loves the Holy Spirit. The posture of each member of the Godhead, the energy, the driving force, is one of honor and love toward one another. That is the energy of the Son. That is the energy of the Father. That is the energy of the they, they approach one another with honor and love. Jesus says, I'm inviting you into the abundant life. And that's what he's inviting you into. The thief, the, the life of this age, the life of the whole world is one of self-love. It's inward, right? It's get more, get more praise, get more notoriety, get more comfort, get people to give themselves to you, 
Get people to serve you. Get people to be kind to you. Get people to like you. Get people to fill your ego. Whatever it is, get, get, get. Jesus is saying, I'm, gonna, I'm here to t- t- totally turn that upside down. I'm inviting you into this. I'm inviting you into this. I am inviting you into what I share with my father. I'm inviting you into what I share with the spirit. I mean, look at how he says it. And this is in John 17. This is his prayer for us. He's praying, Father, I pray that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Jesus is saying, the abundant life that he is inviting us into, he says, I am inviting you into relationship with God. I'm inviting you into this this, this, this nature of the Godhead, this is how I want you to live. I want you to experience a relationship where in the church and in your relationship with God, there is one of this posture of love and honor and giving yourself away toward others. And then of course, as we are in this relationship, as we're in the body, as we know God, we receive the same kind of love and honor from him. So what is the abundant life? What is the abundant life? It, it's this. It's, to, it's to, to live your life with the same kind of energy that Jesus lived his life. And that is one of love, of giving himself away, of delighting in the Father. Is that how you live? <laughs> Have you found the abundant life? Now, the, this, this passage also kind of tells us how do you know that you're in, right? If that's in, if that's in, if that's where abundance really is, okay? If that's where abundance really is, and I hope you desire that, you know, I, I, y'all are all kind of looking at me a little fuzzy today. I hope you get what I'm talking to you about. I know that the seashells and the boat, it, it's, it seems so much more tangible, but man, I hope you can see that God is calling you to so much, something so much bigger than that. It's something that actually satisfies your soul. But here's how you know. Here's, here's how you know you're getting in. That's point number two, the evidence of the abundant life. Now this passage, it's a little confusing it's confusing because Jesus uses a bunch of different analogies. At one point, he's the shepherd, and then at another point, he's the door. So you kind of have to follow the passage. There's two main parts of it. And in the first part here, he's, he is the shepherd. So look at verse one with me. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that's a thief, okay? That's a thief, that's a robber. That's somebody that you can't trust. That's somebody that's going to kill you. But he enters by the door. That's the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep hear his voice and he calls to his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. The stranger, they follow. The true sheep, what he's saying here, the true sheep won't follow the stranger. The true sheep the true sheep, now there's, there may be some goats in the pastures we're gonna see, but the true sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd, not the voice of the stranger. The stranger, they flee. They get away from the voice of the stranger. They, they don't know the voice of the stranger. So, so what does all this mean? What, what are you saying here? And, and Jesus, again, there's always a dichotomy with Jesus, right? And throughout his ministry, he talks about the sheep and the goats, Sheep and the goats, they look like each other. You look at, if you look, if you drive through the countryside, you're looking on the hill, there's a bunch of white dots on the side of the hill. You can't tell, but then you get close and then some are goats and some are sheep. What Jesus is saying, here's how you know who the sheep are. Here's how you know who really get it, who, who are really living the abundant life. It's those that 
listen to the voice of the shepherd. Those that long to hear the voice of the shepherd, those are the sheep. How do you know who's living the abundant life? How do you know whose life is oriented toward the things of God? It's the sheep that are obeying the shepherd. They're listening to the shepherd. We have a teaching meeting every week. And, you know, this week we, you know, different folks on staff and some of our elders and just some friends in the church come. It's an awesome meeting. John Posey, who leads our Center of Faith and Work, was there this week and he, we were talking about the passage and he said, and he showed us this little video. And it's a video of a shepherd um, or of people trying to call out to sheep and get them to listen to him. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. The video made a lot of sense to me because I've actually, in my life, like seen sheep out there and yelled out to them. You ever done this? Any of y'all ever done this? Y'all are probably nicer to the sheep than I am, but I've done this and I'll just say, yeah, yeah try, hey, sheep, whatever. And if you've ever done this, you'll notice, I mean, this is interesting. The sheep don't pay attention to you. They don't, they, like they don't even look up. They just stay munching on their stuff, their, you know, the grass. And so the same thing happens in this video. There's several people and they go and they, whatever the shepherd says later, they actually go and say the same phrase. And they call out to the sheep. And you know what? The sheep don't even acknowledge them. They don't look up. And it's not like they're not even there. And the first person goes, and the second person's a gal, and she calls out. No acknowledgement. Third person, fourth person. And finally, the shepherd goes. The sheep have acknowledged none of these people, as if they're not even saying anything to them. And finally, the shepherd goes, and he says the same kind of thing that they just said. And guess what? All of a sudden, the sheep, when they hear his voice, their heads pop up, and they immediately come running to him. Now, we don't know a lot about sheep, but everybody listening to this would have known exactly what Jesus was saying here. The true sheep, the ones that are really of God, the ones that have really found the abundant life, they are the ones that are responsive to the voice of the shepherd. They know the shepherd, they trust the shepherd, they listen to his voice. How about you? Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Do you delight to hear from him? Do you want to follow him? Do you, do you want to please him? Is, is this what you're like? All the other voices, this, this is the true sheep. I mean, because there's voices all the time, right? That, that's what he's saying. There's, there's, there's all these guys that are gonna try to get into the pen and they're gonna call out to you and they call out to you and they call out to you. But the true shepherd, the one that really leads you into a relationship with God, I mean, that's just the point. Those other shepherds will lead you to other places. They'll lead you to things that the world may say are good or the world may say are successful. But he's saying here, that's all, that's not gonna destroy you. That's gonna kill you. That's not where abundance is. It'll never lead you satisfied. But the one shepherd that can actually come and lead you to abundance, do you listen to him? Do you, can you block all the other ones out and are you listening to him? Are you listening to him? Are you listening to him? Do you delight to hear his voice? Do you long to hear from him? That, that's how you know. I mean, this is, that's how you know. That's how you know if you're a sheep or you're a goat. <laughs> that's how you know if you're in the abundant life or in the life that's gonna be destroyed. That's how you know. Yeah, I just want you to hear, as a pastor, I mean, it hurts me. It hurts me. And sometimes I'm like, is this, am I, is this personal or is this, because I love God, I mean, it's hard for me to discern some of these feelings, but when I see you guys disengage from the body, when I see you guys fall into sin, when I see you guys you know, listening to the other voices, it, it, it hurts me. Sometimes it makes me angry. I'll be honest, sometimes it makes me angry. 
Sometimes it just makes me incredibly sad. And look, I want you to hear, I'm just the under shepherd, right? I just work for the true shepherd. I'm not the real shepherd. I'm just one of his little servants. I can't imagine what this does to the Lord who's calling out to you. says, come to me. There's abundance here. Listen to my voice. Do you delight to hear the voice of the shepherd? Or are you listening in to someone? Are you listening to someone else's voice? It's one of the thieves that broke into the pen calling out to you and you're listening to him. Jesus is saying, this thief's gonna destroy you. He's gonna kill you. What are you doing? It's the analogy of the sheep and the goats. When Jesus says in Matthew 25, that the sheep, the true sheep, they come into eternal life, but the goats, the, uh, the one that listen to the other voices, the, the people that aren't of the true flock, they go away to eternal punishment. And again, I want you to hear this. It's not your confessional theology that so much matters, Right? I know if I said to you, should you listen to Jesus or should you listen to other things, you'd all be like, I should listen to Jesus. I'm not talking about your confessional theology here. Your confessional theology, you know, I I gave this, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, Jonah, (laughs) here's Jonah. He could not be more blatantly disobeying God. He could not be more blatantly disobeying God. He is literally doing the opposite of what God commanded him to do. He's trying to run away from the voice of the Lord. I mean, that's what was happening in the time of Jonah. He, he thinks if I get far enough away, I'll no longer be able to hear from God. He's running away from God. The storm comes, the seamen, they get him up and they say, who are you? And what does he say? What does he say? Almost with his hand over his heart, he says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the living God, the one who made the heavens and the earth. That's his confessional theology. Confessionally, spot on. Orthodox, right? Gets an A in his theology class. But functionally, his theology is a wreck. His heart is not for God. He's not listening to the voice of the shepherd. He's running from the voice of the shepherd. Does your functional theology, does the telos, does the aim of your life line up with your confession? Are you listening to the voice of your shepherd? Are you doing what he says? Are you seeking to follow him? Even when he's hard to understand. I mean, sometimes even for me, the the voice of Jesus is hard. In those moments, do you have the heart of Peter who says, "Lord, Lord, I don't always understand, but To who else will I go? You have the words of eternal life. Are you listening to the voice of your shepherd or has another voice deceived you? We've looked at the abundant life. We've looked at the evidence of the abundant life. But finally, and this is so important, what is the way in? How do you get in? Look at verse seven with me. Jesus says, truly I say to you, and here's the key, (laughs) I am the door. I am the door. How do you get to the abundant life? I am the door. You know, everybody's got an answer. How do you get to the abundant life? You know, if you're aimed at the boat, you know, the softball, there's a door. I mean, somebody will say, well, here's how you do it. You, you start saving when you're young. You know, you go to the right college. You start saving when you're young. You know, you get, you go, you know, Edward Jones or, you know, whoever it is. There's a door. There's a door. But Jesus is saying, 
But this life, this life, this life that I am calling you to, the true abundant life that you know God, that you delight in the Father, that your energy is toward the Father and toward obeying him, toward the Spirit, that this, this life that I'm calling you to, do you love the people of God, you love the mission of God, you love the things of God. I am the door. All who come before me, they're thieves and robbers. There's a lot of other guys out there, but the true sheep, and this is the key, and this is, man, I pray that we are a church full of sheep. The true sheep don't listen to them. The true sheep know better. The voices are going to come. But the truth is, I can't, you can't trust that guy. You can't listen to him. He's not my shepherd. The truth sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. I am the only door. If enter, anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. And he'll go in and he'll go out. And he'll find pasture. You might be saying, well, how could I ever come before God? That's the thing. If you, if you try to come before God by yourself, yes, you'll get squashed, you'll get crushed. You, you can't come before God. But that's why I think Jesus is saying, I am the door. There's a doorway. There's a doorway that's come. And now you can know God. And you can know God and be saved and go in and go out and find the good pasture of the Lord. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. But I have come that you can have life and have it abundantly, true life. I am the door. Here's what I fear, church. This is my fear. In this post-enlightenment world, we have been so trained. We are so trained. Oh, they've done, they've done us in. They've got us. They, they got us right where they want us. Oh my gosh, they got us. And this post-enlightenment world says, facts, you know, the marketplace, success, these tangible things, the natural world, right? This is the enlightenment. The natural world, the world that you can know and feel and touch. That's the real world. That's real. Make a success, make a name for yourself. Be, have a lot of followers. You know, that's real. Now, Jesus, your religion, you can have some of that. That's fine. But that's the private world. Just keep that in your own house. Do that on Sunday mornings. That's, that's not the real world. That's, that's a fine world. As long as that serves you in the real world, right? And this is how they did it. This is why we, we as Christians, we, we bought in hook, line, and sinker because they're saying this is the real world. And if that helps you to be a better worker, and if that helps you to be a better dad or mom, and if that helps you to, you know, be a better steward of your money, if that helps you in all the real things that matter, Great, you can have all that you want. But that's not real. That's not real. This is real, not this. And what Jesus has come to do is he's, he's totally reversed that. He said, no, the relationship you have with me, the relationship you have with God, how you give yourself away and serve his people and love, that, that is real. <laughs> Who you're going to be for the rest of eternity, that is what's real. All, all the rest of this stuff is, it, it's distorted. It's, 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 it's unredeemed. It's, 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 it's fallen. This is what's real. The, the abundant, this is the real life. Don't, don't trust all this other stuff. Trust me. Listen to my voice. In the post-enlightenment age, it's so flipped this on us that we can't hear. And, and you know what? Here's the deal. The same people that Jesus is saying this to this is coming right on the heels. If you hear last week, it's coming right on the heels of John chapter nine. When Jesus shows up and heals a man that was literally born blind, something they've never seen before. And even his parents can't see it. 
Even his parents, the, the one who their child has been saved and they can't even see it because the text says they feared being put out of the synagogue. You know why? Same thing happened to them as happened to us. Because in that day, the synagogue, that was the real world. That was where you got social credit and religious credit and you know personal credit. That was the real world. Who's this Jesus guy? How do we know that we can trust him? How do we know that he is real? As long as he gets you into the synagogue more than, yeah, he can stick around. But if, he, if you start thinking he's greater than the synagogue, hold on. That's what I fear. That all these, the thief is broken in and we're listening to him and not listening to the Lord. And Jesus says, look, I am the door. I am the door. I am the door. I am inviting you to know God. And there's only one door. Don't, don't be hardened to it. I, you know, Hebrews 13, Hebrews 3.13, you know, it says, do not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Don't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You can be deceived. I can be deceived. Y'all read the book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? If you've never read it, it's okay. It's a book about people that are in hell, looking into heaven, and they're so hardened by the deceitfulness of sin that they choose hell rather than heaven. If you can do that, <laughs> don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Jesus says, I am the door. Do not miss this. By God's amazing and abundant grace, he has come and sent us a savior to rescue us from this life, to rescue us from our sin, to call us to relationship with God, the, the life that we were meant for. Again, you might say, well, I'm not worthy of anything. Well, of course you're not worthy of anything like that, but Jesus himself has taken on your sin. He's taken on my sin. Jesus himself has lived a righteous life on our behalf. That's the wonder of the message of the gospel. Jesus has overcome death and he invites you into life, eternal life with God. I am the door, he says. Don't miss the door. There's one, there's one precious door that is opened up to us that can pull us out of our separation from God, of all these things that want to, steal our soul and take away from our soul and call us into life. There is one door that is opened. Jesus says, I am the door. Don't miss him. Look to him. He's calling to you today. He's calling you today. That's what he's doing right now. Listen to his voice. Respond to him. Do not fall victim to the deceitfulness of sin. Jesus says, I am the door. Won't you come in? Jesus says, I am the shepherd calling out to you. Won't you listen to his voice. Let's pray. <clears throat> As we are here in this moment of, of quiet, I just want to ask you to commune with God now. Just commune with the Lord. Don't, don't be thinking about the next thing. Don't, don't, don't miss this moment. Are you hearing his voice? Do you delight to hear his voice? 
Are you following his way? Or some other voice broken in you're listening to and it's deceived you and the aim of your heart where you think abundance is <laughs> is over there. And Jesus is saying, no, it's here. I'm calling you to know the Father. I'm calling you to know me. I'm calling you to know the Spirit. I'm calling you into true love, not a, not a posture of inward-facing love, but of outward-facing love. That's where true joy is. I'm calling you away from love of self to love of God. He is the door. Won't you come in? Won't you come in? Again, if, you, if you're trying to get in by your own love and by your own righteousness, you'll never make it. But that's why Jesus, is, his offer is so merciful. He's saying, no, I am the door. Just look to me. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. The grace of Christ is most profound. It's most profound at your worst moment. It's where you really realize you need it. It's where, the, it's where the deceptiveness of I've got it all together falls away. You can actually cry out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want you to look to Jesus today. I want you to trust in him. I want you to find the abundance that he desires to give you. Whatever it is that has deceived you, would you repent? Would you turn away from that even now? And when you, when you repent and when you turn, don't turn toward my righteousness. Just turn toward Jesus' love. If you turn toward my righteousness, you'll, you'll never figure it out. You'll just create another idol. But if you really believe that the same God right now who's convicting you of sin wants to save you from that sin and wants to give you mercy and has shown you mercy in the cross of Christ, if you can really believe that, that's what it means to be saved and to come in and out of the pasture and to find the life of God. Father, I pray for these people. May by your spirit you speak, Lord, now. May you be alive in this place today, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Be the good shepherd that calls out to the sheep and may we not be the goats that ignore you. May we be the sheep that respond. Father, I pray right now for the person whose head is in the grass, ignoring the voice of the shepherd. Awaken their heart right now, Lord, please. Turn them away from things that only want to steal their soul. Father, give us faith to come running to you in this moment. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.